0: Well, we are into week five on this series called The Radiance of His Glory, and um, I just want to read a passage of Scripture in Hebrews 1, 1 through 5 that kind of really in here is the foundation for this series. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son." whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Um, what a powerful passage. Hebrews 1, and how we are seeing the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is Jesus. I love that last line. Essentially, he got the best name right? Like he's superior to the angels. Like he has inherited more than anyone else. He is the son of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he came to this earth and he showed us what the father was like. And he showed us how to treat people. And he showed us how to deal with things and possessions and ideas. And this whole series, we're looking at Jesus and his radiance how do we become a church that is like him, that radiates like him, that in everything that we touch and do, we are working towards this place to where there's more glory, where we live from glory to glory, day to day, where we never settle and arrive and say, oh, I've figured out X, I've figured out parenting, I've finally uh, cornered the market on what to do with money. It is so godly and beyond my years, no one else knows what to do more than me, that there's never a place where we say, oh, I've arrived in my walk in purity or in my understanding of the word or how to do anything, but that we're saying, no, we're going from glory to glory and lockstep with him. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we've really looked at how he came, emptied himself, and he came as a man. He came fully human here on this earth, the Son of God coming And he said, I'm going to do things in a way that's going to be different than what you thought so that you can know it is possible to do as I do. To see as I see, to think as I think, to believe as I believe. It is possible if you will watch closely, if you will be attentive to what he says. Especially when he says things like, truly, truly, I say unto you. When he shares parables that seemingly... Have the same point, but just uses different illustrations. When he shares the same message, but just in a little nuance, a little different way, he is trying to convey to us his heart, the Father's heart. And so as we looked at this, we said, hey, we want to be a church that is able to radiate God's glory to be more like Jesus. He is the role model, He is our superhero, He is our King, He is our Lord. He is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the hope of the world. We've always said for years that Christ and the church is the hope of the world. That's it. Everything else is secondary, but Christ, Jesus Christ, him and him alone, and the church who he's chosen to partner with, to yoke himself with, his bride, of which he is coming back for one day in his second coming, Jesus Christ and the church is the hope of the world. That, is the, that the church is the pillar and supporter of truth. Not that the church is perfect, Jesus Christ is perfect, and yet he chose to yoke himself with an imperfect people, which shows his grace, shows his mercy, shows who he is. He came back for us as a people, and he's still here today. That's what this series is about. We started it because we unveiled our vision statement as a church to present to Christ a radiant church. To present to Christ a radiant church ready for his return. Ready. That that is, that is our North Star right now. Like, that's what we are saying as a church. So if you're here visiting, if, you're, uh, if you've been here a while or whatever, that's what we're doing. Just letting the cat out of the, uh, cat out of the box, bag, something. Um, but that's where we're going. Like, we want to be that kind of people. So we are reshaping ministries. We are rethinking things. We are doubling down in some areas and evaluating things to say, hey, is this in alignment with what God is saying for us and leading us? Are we going to be a people that will be in alignment with this? Because we believe this is a, a, a real summary in many ways of God's heart for the church that we're to prepare ourselves. Just as a bride prepares herself for a husband and for the big wedding day, we're to prepare ourselves. And that puts us in a place of being readily and daily accountable to give an account for our life to Jesus. That we don't just take a year off from Christ, right? Or we don't just take a break. Every Wednesday is my break from being a Christian. I just get to do what I want, but I'll pick it back up Thursday at 8. I mean, but honestly, like that is... Some people's mentality, when there are other humans around, then I will be accountable. Jesus Christ said it has nothing to do with other humans being the reason why you are going to have good behavior or good morals or follow me or have faith. It should be 24-7. That's why he said the Holy Spirit to be with us so that you are actually convicted 24-7 and encouraged 24-7. And guided 24-7. And so Jesus emptied himself, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in the Jordan River. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, went off to the wilderness, took a one, two, three punch from the devil. He dodged, dodged, ducked, and jabbed him back. Devil went away, running, tail tucked between his legs. Jesus says, I'm not going anywhere. Even at the end of a 40-day fast, I've still got in the tank. Thanks be to God, and being filled by the Spirit. Devil flees, runs off. Goes and ministers to somebody else. Jesus says, okay, here we go. And Jesus then starts into his ministry. And next thing you know, there's people being healed. There's water being turned into wine. The deaf are hearing. The blind are seeing. The leprosy is coming off. The Pharisees are being challenged with their religious things. And next thing you know, he is turning the world upside down. One man, starting at the age of 30, started turning the world upside down. And people to not know what to do with it. But people were flocking. Oh, they were running to him. Because he was radiating something they had been longing for. The glory was on him. And he was showing us what that was like. That's what we're looking at in this series. In a few minutes, we're going to turn to a passage here in Matthew 25 <clears throat> to look at Jesus and really what he's sharing. Some would call it a parable. Some would call it a prophecy. Some would call it a statement on um, what's happening in the end times and the judgment and what's happening there, but we're gonna focus in on this phrase, the least of these, and what Jesus has to say about relating to, interacting with the poor, the broken, the sick, the needy. Like, how does the church, how do we as people, as followers of Christ, as Christians, how do we become more like him in the way that we see, view, and interact with people that are broken, hurting, and needy. But before we jump into it, obviously we are experiencing as a nation a war halfway around the world. It's different. Um, Russia is invading Ukraine, and they are bombing schools and villages. And whether or not you want to watch it or not or read from it or not, it's reality. It is... um, And the last 10 days to see the amount of destruction that is happening in a nation, in towns, is unbelievable. And it doesn't seem like it's stopping tomorrow. It is tragic what is happening. Um, We are seeing on a full scale the brokenness and the realities of sin in our world. And it's not that there's not been wars going on. It's actually telling one of my kids uh, this morning I just said, hey, I just want to explain to you what's going on. I said, there's some bad people that are doing some bad things. And they are bombing and killing people. And I don't know all the reasons why, but I'm pretty sure it has to do with sin. Pride, greed, power, offense, bitterness, wickedness. Just put the label on there. It's evil. It is evil. And I said, you know, there's evil people in this world there's been evil people since the beginning. Adam and Eve came out of the garden, had Cain and Abel, and a brother killed another brother out of his offense, out of his bitterness, out of whatever else he had. It was sin. And I said, hey, the world grew, and things happened, and things even got worse. And then God said, I'm going to identify this one guy, Noah, and his family, and they're going to build this massive boat and take some animals on there, and everyone else is going to die. And wiped out the planet and wiped it off the map. But then God sent a rainbow, and He said, Hey, I'm not going to do that again. And I was saying, You ever wonder why when it rains and a rainbow comes, He's reminding us, Hey, that was just a little rain, (laughs) not the big rain. The world was wicked before the big flood. The world is wickedness now. I don't want us to be deceived in this hour that everything's okay. Or that everything was okay two years ago or ten years ago. There's been wars happening. In Africa, there's been civil wars happening. In, uh, in the Middle East, everything from Afghanistan to Iraq to Syria has been tragic. There has been things happening in Burma and in Southeast Asia. There is things Happening in Mexico with the drug wars in South America. There are wars and rumors of wars, as Matthew 24 tells us. There are earthquakes and famines. It will not cease. It doesn't mean it has to just do this trajectory. I'm not an end times uh, professor. Um, all that I know is that Jesus is really clear. There is evil that exists. It will continue to exist. It'll evolve in its forms and its ways that we interact with it, but it's here to stay until Jesus comes back and ruthlessly deals with it and ends it. But until that day, it's going to happen. And there will be times where it feels more peaceful and times where it feels more tension and tragic and traumatizing. And what's happening right now in a part of the world is terrible. And it's not the only place in the world right now that is suffering, but it is a focal point. And <clears throat> at the end today, we're going to pray for a few different things as a church so that we can respond, but I just want you to know that it is a reality of the brokenness of sin. That's it. When you get to the root cause, and as a church, as the people of God, we want to be uh, woken up to the realities that we have sin, and we have bitterness, and we have offense, and we have things that we better deal with, because things snowball, and then you start acting crazy, (laughs) right? So that's not who we want to be. At the same time, we have to intercede for the gospel to go forth. I was telling my my child this morning, I said, we got to remember, if someone dies today, and they don't know that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for their sins and rose from the grave, then those sins will put them before God and they will be judged righteously and will be, will be condemned to hell for every eternal separation from God, period. It doesn't matter how nice they were or if they, or if they made a few mistakes. Sin is sin. It leads you. It is a, it is a, a direct card to hell, and I said, so that's why we have church. To remind us our main priority in this life is not just to live a clean, easy, comfortable life. Our main mission is the Great Commission, in whatever form, whatever partnership we have to play in that. Period. And I said, and there's people that know Jesus Christ, and when they die, and they have an opportunity to go to heaven, and to be with him forever, and there's streets that are made of gold, and it's so bright, his glory is so bright, you don't need electricity, and there's no more crying, and no more scrapes and bleeding. It's going to be amazing. Don't you think people want to know about that place? A place where there's no more tears and no more war. So I just want us to be clear that we have to live our lives and move on with the every day. But today, especially as we talk about the brokenness and the least of these, I just want us to be mindful of how we can each individually respond our own hearts, which is to not get bitter, to not allow hate to come into our souls, but yet at the same time to be reflective on it and to say, Jesus, where am I off? Who is my enemy? Am I loving my enemies? Lord, am I taking some time to intercede for the... Believers in Ukraine, for those in Eastern Europe that have an opportunity for the church to rise up in this hour, for the church in Europe to wake up and get out of the slumber and to say, there is a king, there is movement happening, there are disciples being made, there, are, there is a, a reformation in a sense that is happening in different parts of Europe where people are clinging to the gospel again, reminding themselves, this is Jesus Christ. You need to get away from religion. That is happening. But we can pray for that more. We can encourage that more and in our own nation, that there would be a revival of sorts in the hearts of men and women, because the number one thing people need is they need salvation. They need food, and they need clothing, and they need shelter, and we're going to talk about that today, but they need Jesus Christ, because if you feed someone tomorrow, and you don't feed them the gospel, and then they die, it's over. They died with a full stomach, but that's reality, so I'm just making it absolutely clear to you, at Antioch, and with Acts of Mercy, and things that are happening, and In the works and with our our people overseas, we've always been committed to the two-handed gospel. It is, they need salvation. They need to know Jesus Christ is it because he's it. There's no other way to get rid of sins. There's no other way to be made right with God to know him. That is it. And we need to help them with education and water and food and medical things. Because you know what? Jesus did both. He healed them and he said, follow me. He healed them and said, your sins are forgiven. He healed them and he took care of them. He said, hey, this is the kingdom. I'm showing you what it's really like now. It is both and. And so as believers, you cannot be only in one camp or the other. That is not biblical. It is not Jesus. It is difficult to do both, though, just to be clear. (laughs) It's easier to pass out a bottle of water. It would have been easier for Wiley just to say, hey, man, thanks. I'm just going to tip you a little extra. My kids want donuts. And I feel that. I'm like, oh, man, I got kids. What do I do here? You know? But that should stir us. You know what I mean? Like, that should stir us to say, okay, hey, here's a bottle of water. Here's a little tip. And by the way, I want to pray for you because I want you to see the king of kings come onto your body, and you realize he's for real. Amen? That's who we are. I just want to be clear. I don't know what you guys are listening to every week on YouTube or podcast or what book you're reading, or I, and I don't really care, to be quite honest. I'm just telling you, in this house, this is how we approach the Great Commission. This is how we approach brokenness and sin and war and tragedy. It is both hands. When our Acts of Mercy's crews, there's a team over there right now, in Ukraine, right now, that is surveying and doing some stuff. You know what? They are trying to figure out, how do we do both? How do we get in there? How do we help people do both? How do we rally the Antioch movement to engage and do both? I don't have an answer for you today, so don't ask me about that. But how do we do both? Because the gospel matters, and they need food and shelter. Basic human needs. Beyond the war stopping. So let's look at Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, Jesus begins by saying, This whole story we're about to read is it's concerning his return, his return in glory to set up his kingdom. And as we are looking at this, he is judging the nations as kind of the greater context. And as we see, he's saying that the sheep will go to the right, the goats will go to the left, the sheep are those who will be deemed righteous and saved, and the goats will be the unsaved. And so that's the distinction he's making, but he's going to go and unpacking why that decision is made. Verse 35, 36, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Jesus is sharing this, by the way, in Matthew 25, towards the end of his ministry on earth, towards, this is towards the latter days, But remember, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been walking in obedience to the Father. And he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Remember those three big pieces. He's walking by the Spirit, which, by the way, he's given us access to the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just for him or just for a select group. The Spirit of God is available for those who receive the Spirit, who receive salvation. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you and that God empowers you by his Spirit. And so he's walking in the Spirit. He's doing all these signs and wonders and all this stuff. He's walking in obedience to the Father. He says, i only do what I see the Father doing. He's not just doing his own little uh, uh, sideshow, or he's not just trying to... Build up the like Jesus Christ campaign. He didn't need that. It wasn't about him. It was about, I'm doing my father's business. The father says, Go, I go. He says, Do this, says, even as a son of God, which you could have just said, Hey, you know, but he didn't even he didn't walk like that. He was clear about who he was, but he was saying, I'm here in submission to the father. Just that should just startle us just for a minute, right? Like, I love. Christian leaders. But the ones I really love are the ones who are really submitted to God and not trying to get you to submit to their thing. Uh, We got a problem with that. Jesus Christ is setting the example for us. How do we radiate God's glory? It's about people submitting to him. And and if people start following you, great, lead them in the same way that got you to follow them in the first place. But don't, but don't try to be someone you're not. Understand where our place is in submission to God. That's what we, that's what we rally behind. That's who I'm so impressed by. It's the people that just, man, they just want to honor God. I'm not impressed by authors or books or speakers. Hope you're not impressed by me. Just be impressed by people's obedience and their humility. Those are the people you should be impressed by. So Jesus here, he's walking obedience, he's filling the law and the prophets, and he identifies these six categories, okay? I'm not saying there's not more. In this moment, he says these six, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned. And you know, we are seeing this, in a sense, at an unprecedented level in our lifetime. I'm 39 years old, I was born in 1982. We had bad clothing and bad music, but it's coming back for some reason. People born in the '80s are like, "What are y'all doing?" We walked away from that for a reason, but y'all are like trying to revive it. I don't know what the problem is. I was in the early '80s, baby, um, and you know, so you know, by '89, '90, 90, right, '91, Soviet Union's falling. Before 82, Vietnam War had ended. The Korean War had ended. World War II had ended, right? My grandfather fought in the Korean War. Some of you, your grandfathers, had maybe fought, served in World War II, the Korean War, maybe Vietnam War. My dad had actually gotten a letter from the government. He was um, gonna be uh, uh, enlisted into, or it, was, it, was, it was part of the draft, and so my dad got a letter to be drafted in to the Army, and the Vietnam War, and uh, about one month later, after he got the letter, the war ended. So my dad never went off to basic training. He would have. I don't know what would have happened or changed in my life, but that was there. Um, the Gulf War has happened. 2001, my freshman years, when 9-11 happened. And the war with Iraq and Afghanistan and Saddam Hussein happened. And every time these things happen, they make you think Wow, I thought I had it maybe bad, a little difficult, but not really. Because then you see the hunger and the needy and the thirsty and the broken and the stranger and the refugees. Right? The Syrian conflict happened four or five years ago, and Antioch as a whole, along with many others, kind of jumped in the fray to help, and over 2,000 people went to Europe to be part of something we called Engage the Crisis, to help serve and love on refugees. It was incredible. Some of you went during that time. I got to go it's for a short period to go talk to people from Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and other places. And it breaks you, and it changes your worldview. You can't, you can't be up to close to hunger and thirst and nakedness and refugees and brokenness and not be changed by it. And, and, and if that is the case, then your heart has grown cold And numb. And maybe some of us, God wants to warm our hearts again this morning. I would maybe argue the last couple of years maybe made us a little numb, a little isolated, a little cold, just trying to stay healthy or prevent COVID. But I think now life's realities are that there's a little more to life than just trying not to get sick. When you see the desperation of people, it's not in our country right now on this scale, but it is for others. So we see Jesus highlighting these areas. But what do we see too? The sheep and the goats and this separation. And who is he saying? Who is in the right in a sense? Um, he says, when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, you, you took care of me. And that requires us to be close. Requires us to be close. And I just want to say, guys, being close up to this is not comfortable. It's, it's, it's unsettling. Um, to be close to people that are really hungry, to be close to people that are desperate, whether it's in our own nation or somewhere else, it makes you uncomfortable. You're not used to that. We're not used to this. It. not every day, and it can be traumatizing. It can be difficult. But I think Jesus is reminding us again that there are basic human needs in life that we can't, um, we can't just be apathetic towards. Maybe that's how I would say it. When you look at this, you see that there's a strong admonition for us to engage. Because it says in verse 37, it says, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, many would argue that when Jesus says to the least of these, my brothers, he is talking about maybe fellow disciples, talking about fellow believers. Some would argue the other way that it's meant for anyone, any human that is in need. However you look at it, though, here's the point. There is a call for Christians, for us as a church, if we really want to be more like Christ, to radiate his glory, that we have to do as he did. And he did care and tend to the least of these. He went to the hurting and the poor and the broken. And um, he approached them in such a way because they knew they needed help. And I'm sure everyone's had different examples in their own life of how they have interacted with people that are in desperate situations. But here's what I know. Um, Typically, someone in a really desperate place is willing to receive help and willing to listen. Not always. I've encountered some that, for some reason, they don't want the help or won't listen. But most of the time, they're willing to listen and willing to receive help. Back when I was in Europe for those few days with Engage the Crisis several years ago, I <clears throat> went to this place called Calais. It's Calais, France. It's really on the northwest part of France. It's kind of the last stop before you get over to England. And many of these refugees had made their way to, uh, to this place, to this tent city, really, this tent refugee camp that had over 5,000 people at it that were there, and they call it the Jungle. And um, there was, I don't know how many nations were there, at least 20, 30 nations represented there. They had them in these tents. Um, and uh, it was crazy. I've never been anything like it. And I met this man from Afghanistan and uh, who had fled. And I won't get all the details why he fled, but um, he fled his country. And um, we got to sit down and we talked for a while. And I had personally never talked to an, to an Afghan man and talked with him. And we shared about our faith. And I told him about Jesus. And in that place, people are desperate. They're fleeing through their lives. They're trying to do something. He was willing to listen. And he shared with me the tragic stories happened to his family and things at home. And we shared. And he listened to me share the gospel. And I walked away from that day knowing he didn't receive Christ in that moment. But I walked away saying, you know what." This man heard the gospel loud and clear from someone in flesh and blood that was loving him, wasn't trying to manipulate him, and was just there on his own time, just trying to serve him and share the gospel. He heard the gospel. That man who I would say was unreached before, who had no recollection of Jesus, no understanding of anything, he was unreached. I got to share the gospel with him. I don't know if he took it and ran with it. I don't know what happened to his life, but I was a messenger that day. As believers, it's not about us forcing people to receive help or forcing them to receive the gospel. It is about us presenting it to them. Here's some water. Do you want it? Here's some food. Do you want it? Here's some clothing. Do you want it? Here's an opportunity. Here's some housing. Do you want it? Here's the gospel. Do you want it? Here it is. This is, it is good for you. And our intentions are there for it to be nourishing, to be helpful for you. Do you want it? Here it is. And what's difficult is when you present it and it's rejected. I'm being honest. That's hard. Like, you want to just be like, and just, just stop it, almost like, like throw a tantrum. Yeah. You need to listen. You know, it's like, don't you know? And I'm not saying there's never a time, very spiritual tantrum in this sense, to just uh, desperation, you know? But man, if someone's heart's not there, they're not there. And that's why Jesus shares the story of the sower went out to sow. And the four soils and you sow seed. And it lands in, on the path or it lands in the rocks or it lands on the weeds or it lands in the good soil. And every one of us wants it to land in good soil. Like when we offer someone help, we want them to say, thank you so much. This is great. It was a big hug. This is incredible, right? No one wants to offer help to someone who's ungrateful. Oh, but it happens. Right? No one wants to like share the good news of Jesus and how he's changed from our life. And someone be like, that's not even real. What? Or like, oh, cool. I, I do other things. What? Dude, are you not aware? Like, you want them to see the realities. But you know what? The devil's cunning. Years ago, someone said, um, one of the greatest deceptions the devil can do is convince people there is no hell. Which means there is no, there's no consequence for how you live now. If he can convince people of that, then you will do whatever you feel like doing, when you feel like doing it, which means you'll never submit to authority, you won't certainly submit to God, you won't put your faith in him, and you'll just live life for yourself. And I think that on some level, he's been able to convince a number of people of that. So Jesus says, as you did the least of these, you're doing it to me. But as a reminder, salvation has not come through good works. Because the Bible doesn't contradict itself, right? Some may read this and say, hey, see there, if I, just, if I just take care of people, I'll be saved. You have to look at the whole of Scripture. The rest of Scripture, it talks about emphatically, it is by faith we are saved. What is the point Jesus is saying? The separation of the sheep and the goats, and as he's doing this, the judgment, he's saying, listen, people are going to help other people who are going to help out their brothers and sisters in Christ and do this from a good heart, from a place, it's because they've already had a transformed heart. They're doing it because they've already received the transformation. They've already received forgiveness, and therefore now it is evidence that they are now doing this and showing this. That is the evidence of it. It's not a works-based salvation. It is salvation by faith, but the works are coupled with it as evidence, right? I think... We have enough examples of this in life, but I just want to be clear that when we talk about meeting the needs of the broken and the hurting, it's not so that we can be saved. It's not so that we're going to earn, earn a bunch of brownie points with God, or I, I don't think that. There is reward and loss of reward. Certainly, we know that in heaven, but at the end of the day, it's, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to be noticed Am I doing this to be awarded? Am I doing it for a plaque? Am I doing it so everyone makes me successful and very philanthropic? Or just, Why am I, what are my motivations? Jesus can the heart of, hey, if you help out people the least of these, it's like you're helping me. But he knows our hearts. And we can't fool Jesus. We can fool each other, but not him. And so it's, and, 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 and I want you to know too that even when we read this, Sometimes we may feel like, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming. There's so much to do. Like, if I flip on the news and I look at what's happening in Ukraine, I can feel frozen. If you're like, if you help out one refugee, there's 10 more thousand that just came in yesterday. Or people at these train stations. They're like, they're coming in by the thousands every hour. You help out one mom with her children. You look up, there's a hundred aren't being helped. It feels overwhelming. It feels like, why even try? But I want to encourage us with something. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he had to be in one place at one time. He was not everywhere, was he? So Jesus walked into a village where there were blind people. And those that got near him, he was able to heal them, of their blindness. But you know the village over, still blind. In one village, you got to maybe encounter those with leprosy. Maybe you got to raise a little girl, a boy from the dead. But the next village over, a little boy or girl just died and stayed dead. That's the reality. We don't want to see it that way. But the reality is, is that Jesus helped The people that he was around shared the kingdom. Those are the stories, whether it was ones and twos or by the thousands. But he didn't stop advancing the kingdom and doing his father's business, even though he couldn't help everybody at the same time. So our leader, our king, our best example ever at loving people perfectly well and right was limited and his ability to help everybody at the same time. Yeah. Until he went to the cross. When he went to the cross, he said, I've got something that can help everybody, all ages, all nations, all dialects, for all of history. By the way, not just today, but people are born a 1,000 years, and in 2,000 years, and especially if people are born in Texas, if you're a local, okay? <laughs> for those people too, he died for you and me. The solution was not in healing the blind. The solution was in salvation for all, Jew and Gentile, which is a reminder, everyone's a Gentile unless you have Jewish blood. He came for all of us, but you have to hear him and receive the good news. So that's why I say we are committed to two-handed gospel approach, and we've got room to grow. Just, I'm not writing a book on this. Just so you know, we are wanting to become a church that radiates in this glory, that does a better job at this, that's more honoring to the Lord in this way, that we're rallying more of the people and doing it in a way that is honoring and submitted to Him in our own cities, let alone in the nations. I'm not saying we've it right. We've got work to do. This is convicting for me. Do you know, like. I'm not preaching like you guys all. I'm like, we've got work to do, period. We've been so self-absorbed the last two years about me and mine and ours. It is now time to shift and say, this life is not about me. Everything told us it was. It's all a fake. This life is about him and them. We've always said that, but now we've got to get back to it. So guys, I don't know what it looks like for everyone in this room, but I want you to know, if you help one person, you are being like Jesus. Do not buy into the lie, you're not doing enough. We are never doing enough. Let me just say, we could always do more, but you know what, just like Jesus, we're limited. We have the Holy Spirit, okay, in us, but you know what? I can't fly around 20 cities, I, I can't do that. Whatever Marvel movies you watch, that doesn't happen, okay? Superman's not real. Okay? We're limited. But we have access to the most high God. To see a guy limping at the gas station and to make a choice. Wiley yeah. made the choice. I'm so glad he's vulnerable. He didn't want to. Put most of us in that category. Yeah. Oh, I know I should. I know he could. <sighs> I don't want to. That's the difference. There's really nothing holding us back from obeying Jesus. The least of these. There's nothing holding you back. If it's one person or a family or hundreds or thousands, I don't know if that matters. I think what matters is that we're doing something. Amen. you're saying, "You know what? No? There's someone in my neighborhood. Yeah, nope. There's somebody I see on my way to work. Nope. There's a person in this church I know of that's really need. They're not going to say it, but I need to help them. Help them. And do it with a pure heart. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. And if we all do that together, guys, 500, 600 of us, we're all helping 500, 600 people. Maybe some of us are helping 10 people. I don't know. But don't feel frozen. Don't be, don't get stuck. Do something. Do one thing. And it's not so that you're saved or so that now all of you tell approval of God. It's because, man, I've been saved. I've been set free. Why not? What's it gonna hurt? Amen? I want to stand as we close this morning. Invite the band on that. I want to read this last passage because I think it's needed. It's sobering and it's part of this whole prophecy that Jesus shares. It says in Matthew 25 verse 41 through 46 then he will say to those on his left, the goats depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels for I was hungry and you gave me no food I was thirsty and you gave me no drink I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me then they will then they also will answer saying Lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you then he will answer them saying truly I say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these you did not do it to me And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What's the point? (laughs) They failed to show compassion on the least of these. Jesus showed compassion for people. And whether or not that's your strong suit or not, it doesn't really matter. Because it was who Jesus was and how he walked. And we've got to learn from him to be a church that increases in our compassion. It's compassion with the truth. It's not separate. But we've got to grow in those places. So here's how we're going to end. Um, I'm going to put us into four groups just for a minute here. I want this group in the far left, you guys in this area. I want you to pray For the people of ukraine specifically for the gospel to go forward in this hour like now that ukrainians would know the gospel that bibles would get in that missionaries would come in as refugees are coming the church would rise up and that they hear about the true salvation and hope that jesus christ offers their towns may be destroyed their homes destroyed they may lose their husbands and their fathers i don't know but that Ukrainians would be saved by the gospel, even as their villages and towns are being bombed. I want you guys to pray for the Russians that are being suppressed, they're not able to protest, they're not able to do anything, and they feel locked down. Independent journalism now ended, as of a couple days ago, in Russia. It's now a crime for any journalist of any nationality or anything to be in there reporting anything that's contrary. To what Russia says, you'll be in prison up to 15 years sentence. So news agencies are sending their people out of the country as of Friday, Saturday. They fled. So there's now no known as of today um, reporting that it's not ruled by the Russian government. So I want you to pray for Russians in that nation, especially the believers also, that they would have courage, they would not lose faith, they would not give up. And that God would find a way, even in the midst of this lockdown, for them, and the oppression, that somehow a light would shine, the gospel would go forth. I want this group to pray for world leaders right now to have wisdom and discernment, including our own president and the presidents and prime ministers around the world. I don't know what's going on. I don't. I don't know. I just know that we need the wisdom of God to get upon people, even if it's in an hour, even if they're unsaved. I don't know. God can do the miraculous, but they would have wisdom and foresight to make the right decisions across countries, and not erratic or weird decisions. But they would say, there is wisdom on it. They would even confound everyone else, like, I can't believe they did that, you know? That's what we need. We need godly wisdom on them, surrounding them, so that people are making decisions that are not foolish. The last group over here, I want to pray for the Christians in Europe right now, that they would have a revival in their hearts. That they would not look at this and get closed off but they would be emboldened they'd be courageous they would start going back to the roots and say hey hold on a second the reformation happened in our continent there was a time a revival where people were stirred to follow jesus for real not fake we pray that and we want to pray for countries across europe especially those taking refugees that they'd be stirred to say, man, love them, love the least of these, love them, take them in and care for them and allow the gospel to go forth in Europe. Let there be revival in Europe, a place that's been dormant for many years. All right, so let's just go for it. Just start praying, just by yourself. You can turn to somebody if you want to. Let's go for it. Ukraine, Russia, world leaders and European Christians, go for it, come on. Father, we just pray right now over the Ukrainians. In Jesus' name, we're asking for Ukrainian Christians to rise up. Lord, we're praying for them to hear the gospel loud and clear. Lord, we are praying that their needs will be met, Lord, from every place of human suffering, that the basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter be met by the refugees, and for those living, in the nation lord we pray for supernatural provision for them god we pray that they would see you we pray for angelic beings to come and their dreams and visions lord and we pray you would put bibles all over the nation lord the bibles would be dispersed lord that the word of god would go forth. that people would cling to the word not just to the government or the hope of something else they would cling to you we pray in jesus name lord we pray for russians lord we ask god that you would allow their to be people that would speak up, that would that would they would bring the gospel forth, as everything's being shut down, just as the communists in China did, Lord, sixty-seven years ago, kicked out missionaries. The gospel exploded. We pray that Russia would take a hold of the gospel in Jesus' name, would cast off religion. They would start speaking, start being emboldened, God, again. Lord, we pray for a reformation, a transformation to happen in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray over our world leaders, God. We pray over our president, Lord. Give him sound of mind, we pray, in Jesus' name, Lord. Surround him with wise advisors, with those that have good intentions, or that are hearing from you. Lord, we pray for world leaders in France in England across Europe and Africa and Asia, Lord. We pray that you would give wisdom to men and women all over the world on them and around them in Jesus' name to make discerning decisions. And God, we do pray in Jesus' name over Europe or over the continent of Europe, God, we're asking. That you would allow christians to rise up from denmark to sweden to england to france to spain to portugal and to germany romania and italy and everywhere else we pray that there be resurgence of the faith lord in romania and hungary and in ukraine god we pray that believers would rise up they would not cower they would not pull back but they would press in we pray that missionary efforts would be emboldened and would be um and And would be fully funded and provided for lord the support would be there you would give them inroads into places they couldn't go before lord allow the gospel to go forward allow the church to be filled not empty we pray in jesus name lord we ask that we would be a church a people that are committed to the two-handed gospel a people that learn from you how to share with boldness and at the same time lord how to help with boldness Lord, we need that from you jesus we want to be a church that is like you not different but the same as you Lord, help us, show us the way to love the least of these. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.